1: hot Mike with hudden with row underway monday edition and reaction to the weekend edition glad you're with us across the outkick network It includes the youtube channel where you can stream us live right now by searching out outkick and subscribing to the channel chad is in the chat and much more live uh, across uh, many other platforms outkick.com x and more plus listening to this great radio station we say thank you sixth and p by their location with e-hop beer and old smoky moonshine chad good afternoon Hutton, welcome to the week. It's not the weekend anymore. We're here. But
2: the week is here. We're here, ready to go.
1: Michael McHenry is ready to go. He'll join us later this hour with the very latest on Game 6 and Game 7 in the Major League Baseball postseason, where what a difference a Friday and a long weekend uh, make for MLB, if you want to count Chad's weekend of Thursday. A lot of catching up, and that has happened. McHenry joins us later.
2: I like how we look at it, like the Chinese calendar, you know, the Chinese New Year, the with row calendar. Four-day work week. Thursday, Thursday being the weekend now. Yeah. Yeah, that's how we look at it. Major League Baseball is exciting again. We've got some series now. It just looked dead in the water to start, but uh, how quickly things can turn in in baseball, and we've seen some changes throughout those series. It's been fun.
1: Mike Bratton joins us. SEC Mike uh, in hour number two. The uh, craziness of the college football weekend impacted by results across the SEC. I can't wait for him to jump into the mix uh, later. Plus, Bobby Carpenter, the Buckeyes get it done yet again over Penn State. Another big game missed for James Franklin and the Nittany Lions. All of that uh, coming up throughout the show. Chad, let's see. Ohio State wins going away. Not not difficult uh, for the Buckeyes at all at home. Alabama over Tennessee in what was a first-half, second-half game where uh, – exciting. A way different first
2: half than anyone expected. And then the best possible Alabama you could have expected in that game for 30
1: minutes in the second half, and they end up pulling away. Utah over USC as well. And all of a sudden, there's, what, clamoring for Caleb Williams to just chill?
2: Yeah, I I mean, let's let's dive right into this. So Emmanuel Acho tweets out,
1: and it's gotten a big
2: response, and, and rightfully so. Over the weekend after Caleb Williams and USC lose on a last second field goal to Utah, tweets out basically that no shot at the Heisman, no real shot at the college football playoff, probably not a shot at the Pac-12 championship. The best thing for Caleb Williams to do is to quit, is to stop playing college football and get ready for the NFL draft. And that's what the young man needs to do. We have a, a, a survivor series here on this show where if you... Get to pick an NFL team. You all do it at home. You know it. I don't have to explain it like a second chance. You pick a team every week. That team wins. You continue on and on throughout the season. If you miss twice, you're out of the competition. I missed twice quickly, so I was out of the competition. I'd love to get back in the competition, though. I'd love to continue playing. We are now trying to treat a college football season like an NFL survivor pool that you'd play at home. Lose twice. Season's over. No need to go and play with your teammates. No need to try to soldier on, to try to persevere and make something happen the rest of the way. No shot at a national championship. No shot at a Heisman Trophy means shut her down, get ready for the offseason, get ready for the NFL draft. That is the worst mindset I I can imagine. And I know that it doesn't always happen with those that make decisions in the NFL draft. But if Caleb Williams were to actually do this, and I really don't think that he will, but as a healthy player, he decides we've lost two games, two games, by the way, which there are plenty of people still playing college football right now that would pray to be only with two losses right now and would love to be playing with only two losses. But two losses mandates that I quit my team and get ready for the NFL draft. What a sad state we're in, of not just of college football right now, but of utter selfishness. That is not how team sports work. And football is the ultimate team sport. We love it because it takes 11 guys on the field at once. That's a lot of players. All performing their roles to perfection for a play to work, for a game to work. It takes everyone together all at once. And now Emmanuel Acho, who played football, wants the message to be, Sorry, guys. I know we got half the season left, over a month of football left, and there's still plenty to play for. But I'm going to bail out now because I am more important than you, and my future is more important than this team right now. Even if I play out the season, I'm probably still going to be the number one overall draft pick. I hate this mindset. I hope it goes away. I love that Emmanuel Acho is getting crushed over this opinion. He should be getting crushed over this opinion. I can't begin to express just how much I disdain this whole mindset of quit your team because you've lost two games.
1: Chad, you let me there's a different perspective and mindset now than there's ever been, right? I think oh, yeah. and also from the public viewing standpoint, from the network standpoint, and it is the two loss factor. Once you get two losses in college football right now with a 14 playoff, you're a non-factor for the public attention and the push and the drive for eyeballs on the networks because you're not considered a part of the conversation of the college football playoff. It is all about the playoff. And it took away the the glimmer and shine of a two-loss, three-loss team making a bowl game and actually playing a factor down the stretch. Now, you can have a two-loss team that plays upset – you know, that is the disruptor of a schedule or an unbeaten school in a conference championship game. But by and large, once you get your second loss, peace. You know, they. once we saw Bama with two losses, it was, well, Crimson Tide. They're slipping back down the hill now. They were atop the mountain. Now there are others that are climbing up and they're losing ground. And oh, what's going to happen with Saban? The narrative changes a bit, and that's driven by those that carry the top games in the country. And... You're not really relevant. You are. I'm not saying you're not. But if you're a program with two losses, you're not relevant in the eyes of those that hold the keys to promotion, attention, and, you know, game day. So, in through the, I mean, the guy who paints his fingers has lost twice in a row. And my guess is that's a mindset that is similar to what we're describing than what we want out of a player. But here's why he can't do that, Chad. Why would you draft that guy? No, I wouldn't. And why would you also, in this whole narrative all season of who's going to get Caleb Williams, why would you, why would you lose now in order to gain a quarterback that is losing twice and peace out? What's he gonna do if he joins a, 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 a organization like Arizona? And they have a losing season. He's going to demand to be traded. They just went through that with Kyler Murray. So, I, I mean, again, it's a, it's a lose-lose situation for college football fans, team, and Caleb Williams, and for that matter, the NFL for next year because he's going to the league. I think there's, you know. Do you buy the playoff factor? Two losses yeah, means and a I, lot that's, more. And
2: that's unfortunate because I, I I do think that just because. This is the last year of that, though. Man, this is.
1: Now'll I, I, don't,
2: I don't want to sound cheesy here, OK? But in this, just do anything to get the bag world we live in. Mentality. We lose so much of the romance of what is sports. And I hate that. We need to buy back into the myth of sports a little bit. I understand that everyone's got a phone now. They've got social media. They can read about anything they want. They can feel like they're oppressed or the man's out to get them or whatever at all times and make it all about number one. And it's all about my money, nothing about you. I'll be selfish here. Doesn't matter about my teammate. It's all about me because ultimately it's going to be about me and no one else is looking out for me. That's the mindset of too many people right now. And I understand it to an extent. But we got to get back a little bit to sports being something that does reflect life a little bit. And because you don't reach expectations in life doesn't mean that you fold up shop and quit. I understand the goal coming into the season for USC was to win a national title and for him to win the Heisman. That's not happening now. What are you going to do about it? Emmanuel Acho's response is quit. Quit and move on to the next thing. What the hell kind of lesson is that for anyone? How could anyone allow their child to wear a Caleb Williams jersey and look them in the eye and say, that's a guy I want you mimicking in life with that mindset, if that were to happen? It's such a defeatist loser mentality. There are times where I respect the hell out of someone who actually gets knocked down repeatedly and doesn't meet goals but continues to get back up. And eventually for them, something good
1: may happen on the other end. Just keep playing. It was Stetson Bennett. And see what happens. Stetson Bennett was that story uh, at, at Georgia. Now, the, the romance of sports remains. Now, but, he,
2: he didn't lose many games. But yeah, I mean, early in his career, he wasn't a guy who was playing. He just got there and kept He was winning. asked to
1: leave. He was a walk-on. It was asked, you know what? Let's bounce somewhere else and improve. And he did. And came back. And we know what happened there. But yeah, the romance of sports exists. And that's what the business of sports plays on. Because week after week no matter what, while we may not romanticize the same way, and I think you put it well, um, we're watching and we're watching as the ratings rise. College football is popular as it's ever been, and that's in a world of name image likeness, and in a world where you have media members and former players, and even the current uh, NFLPA president is calling, well, I can't say this, but I mean, maybe we say this, and I shouldn't say it publicly, but... Maybe the running backs just don't play. Maybe they have an injury and bounce. That, I mean, again, that's just... I'll stop
2: watching. Uh, and I, I'm serious. I, I, I'm tired well, of it. But it's one I, or I will two, stop though. watching. Yeah, this is the minority right now. But if this becomes the majority, if everyone in media and everyone starts agreeing with Caleb Whitman, he did the right thing here. Quit his team oh, be crushed. with a month left in the season. If that becomes the norm, and again, he's not done it yet. This is one stupid take of someone saying he should quit his team. But if this becomes acceptable, I, I, I will raise my right hand and say I will stop watching this sport. I will stop giving a damn about college football. There are too many other good stories out there in college football for me to ever stop watching because there are, team, there are teams right now that are 2-5, and five, that are guys who are seniors who haven't won a thing in their career. And you know what they're doing right now? They're taping up their ankles and they're going to practice, and they're getting ready for the next game, a game that no one's probably going to watch. Or no one in the media is going to cover because they're not in a college football playoff race. Or they're probably not even going to go to a bowl game. But they're doing it, and God bless them for it. They're showing up for their teammates. They're showing up for the sport. That's why I watch. If this becomes the norm, see ya. I'm done with it. And I don't want NIL and everything else to lead to this. I don't want the endless pursuit of money above all to lead us to this. If this becomes acceptable, I'm out. Thank God it's not. But he can't, And thank God he's getting crushed over. It'll
1: never be the majority. Because, I hope not. Well, it can't be. Because in this scenario, Caleb Williams would be doing this because he's the number one overall pick. Not because he's a sixth-round pick and he wants to stay healthy for day three of the NFL draft. Well, So I, if you want to get drafted, guys, you're playing. If you want to go to the Senior Bowl, you're doing that and you're padding up to go and be drafted. Not because you uh, you know want to prove that you're not afraid of injuries. That, that would be, like, you're not losing out on what would be potential generational wealth and $25 million just for signing your name on the contract. That is what Ocho is saying that we disagree with. Not that every player in this situation after two losses should do it. I don't know why he's saying it for one. But the one is the one because there's no one else that would be in that situation. And if he assumes that he is in that, I wouldn't draft him at one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade up for him. I'd go with someone else that wanted to finish the season. And that's why it won't be the majority. That's why you can still have the, the, the same feeling you do about college sports, because by and large, every player's in the same boat minus the, the upper echelon, minus the, the well, top shelf.
2: I'll say this about Caleb Williams. And I, I say this because it's very different at quarterback than any other position. If I'm drafting number one overall and I'm drafting a quarterback, I'm not drafting him because of what he does with his fingernails. Right, I- I'm telling you right now that that's as fickle as I'll be at that position. That's weird. Putting F the opponent and painting it on your fingernails before every game, that's not my franchise quarterback. I'm marking him off the list for that. And if I turn out to be an idiot and this guy turns out to be the greatest quarterback in history, I can live with that. Because I don't want that leading my, my franchise if I'm an NFL GM and I'm drafting quarterback. Again, if he's a linebacker, if he's an edge rusher, if he's a running back, and you've got some eccentricities that way, I don't care. I'm using a first-round pick on him if he's that, different, if that much of a difference maker and a talent. But quarterback, everything counts. Every personality quirk, every way they carry themselves on and off the field, all of it matters because there's only 32 of them in the world that are starting NFL quarterbacks, they need to be special. They need to be different. They need to rise above everything else. This mentality is not rising above anything. And again, Caleb Williams has not said he's quitting. I'm responding to a tweet from Emmanuel Acho about what he should do and how much I hate that mentality. So I reserve judgment about what he decides to do the rest of the way, but he's got to play. Come on. He's going to play out the rest of the season, I hope.
1: Chad, we are uh, uh, eight days away now from the NFL trade deadline. And I'm bringing this up early because I am here to vow I'm not crushing teams that are going for it. The San Francisco 49ers were crushed for making the trade that they did and picking up the contract for Christian McCaffrey, who is expected to play tonight, by the way, on Monday Night Football, where they gave up a second, a third, a fourth, and then a future fifth in exchange for picking up the contract from Carolina for a guy that had been uh, injury prone and, and uh, banged up quite a bit well here he is banged up and playing through another injury but doing so on the best team in football and doing so as mvp caliber christian McCaffrey. there were two trades in the final month of the season prior to the nfl trade deadline the four weeks prior to the deadline in 2012 two total trades last year there were 18 18 trades in the final month leading up to the deadline And the deadline is coming up October 31st, Halloween coming up on Tuesday. During the same timeline, there were an average of four and a half trades per season in the 2013 to 2016 seasons. And now there's an average of 14.2 trades in that final four weeks leading up to the deadline. Teams should go in. And I bring it up now because you're making the calls This week, the trades will be set up by teams thinking they're sellers, not really sure, based on the result that could happen in week eight. It is time for teams to pick up the pace, pick up the contract, and go for it. Several contenders and maybe
0: pretenders. We'll get to that in alphas and betas next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today.
1: Sixth and Peabody are located with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on Monday edition. Coming up, Michael McHenry joins us in 20 minutes. He's got a game seven tonight with Texas and Houston. And uh, just prior to uh, that game, game six in Philly, Arizona, visiting, trying to even the series and force a game seven. I'm surprised. The pendulum swinging back and forth. Some drama for the D-backs.
2: Tough name to say, by the way. It really sounds like something else every time. Someone brought it up to me. That's a really rough nickname for a team when you have to say it that way. The Diamondbacks with a couple of walk-offs to get two games in the series. Yeah. It's been exciting. It has
1: been. Chad, exciting football weekend as we uh, kick off the alphas and betas of the weekend as we do each and every Monday. And we start with the alphas this week, and we start with a, a familiar name, but... An unfamiliar hero to begin the season in Bryson Barnes. Uh, quarterback for the Utah Utes. A pig farmer growing up. Grew, grew up on a pig farm, taking on the Heisman winner. And all Utah does is beat USC, and they do it behind the quarterback play of Bryson Barnes, who stepped in and didn't, well, he wasn't given much of a chance against Florida. Third stringer was thought that, well, they're just trying to get through so Cam Rising can come back in week two. Turns out Cam Rising, Chad, you mentioned this uh, last week, possible medical redshirt. they announced that's exactly what they're doing with him. Uh, But they can do that because Barnes is playing so well, and I love his attitude and his moxie. He said he just, in regards to how they got the win this past weekend at USC, setting up the game-winning field goal, trusting his teammates and letting it rip. That was the mindset. And that resonates for a guy that's had to work his way up to this moment. I'm rooting for him. I hope Utah ends up becoming the talk of the Pac-12 in the sayonara season and the sayonara matchup against USC. They end up on top because of rising. Hutton
2: gets the points again in the wrong team favorite also. Congrats on that one. Got riding the Utes once more. Could have given this to Kyle Whittingham, also an alpha. I Tough to find a guy that uh, the program exemplifies, reflects, shows the style of their head coach more than what Kyle Whittingham has done with Utah. Consistent and a consistent identity with that program. I got all fired up in the first segment talking about Caleb Williams. Flip side of the Caleb Williams stuff is Bryson Barnes. The guy didn't have a scholarship until this year. He's a homegrown kid from the state of Utah. And if you go back and watch that 26-yard scramble with six seconds left that got them inside the 20, making it an easy field goal to win the game, that was nothing but grit and determination. I have no idea how he continued running down the field and was not pushed out of bounds or tackled before that. Sheer determination from Bryson Barnes. Alpha moved by him. What a great story. Um, he's played really well for them. Utah, they've got USC's number. I mean, if, if you want to see how a program shows the softness of another program, the soft underbelly of what Lincoln Riley does with his program, Kyle Whittingham is that mirror for USC. They show that reflection every time they play. This game was another example of that.
1: And Chad, just on the flip side, just briefly on USC uh, and not just Caleb Williams. um, So this was supposed to be like the get right, the wake up game, you know, coming off of Notre Dame and then they lose to uh, Utah. Here's, what is, here's what's the reality, though, with this team. Uh, number one, they lose two in a row. How do, they not, how do they not make players available to the media after the game? That's mm. number one to me. Uh, number two, tackling. I mean, they can be as bad as you want to on defense. You can, you can tackle. But also, what happens to this group? What's the storyline after two losses, knowing that they could, they could potentially lose two more down the stretch? Maybe three their upcoming schedule. They're at Cal. Then they're hosting Washington. They're host, they're, they'll visit Oregon, and then they will host UCLA to close the season. This is not a USC team that is going to end the season with just two losses. And that's where the turmoil and the storyline really turns to. And who knows? We had the topic last week about Lincoln Riley and Maybe we're headed for Lincoln-Riley 3.0 somewhere else.
2: Well, here's what's going to be the big problem now. By his choice, With USC, and I I don't know who's behind Caleb Williams at at quarterback or who the next guy is for Lincoln-Riley. He's got a very good track record of whoever that quarterback is, whether it be at Oklahoma or at USC. They're going to put up huge numbers. They're going to be in the Heisman discussion. But we're going to look back on these two years and also say, you had Caleb Williams, who's the likely number one overall pick, You didn't get to the college football playoff. Now you're moving to the Big Ten. That's going to give him a little bit of a buffer. Okay, there's going to be some growing pains down a new conference. But there's going to start being a lot of questions starting next season with how much Lincoln Riley is making, what exactly his program is, do they have the toughness to win at the highest level, and I'm talking about win a national championship, which is what the expectation was when USC had hired him away from Oklahoma and paid him all that money. There's going to be a lot of questions around that USC program because I'm with you, Hutton.
1: They're not just losing these two games; that they're going to lose more this season. Well, they have three other scholarship quarterbacks behind uh, b- behind the Heisman winner in Williams. So,
2: and I'm sure they've got a very good one waiting in the wings. A,
1: yeah, a freshman who's a five star. Yeah, um, that was a sign a signing of the 23 class. So, yeah, uh, they've they've got players. You're right. Um, so does Michigan. All they do is win and win big. Another another dominating performance within their conference and within a rival, uh, dusting, like just yawning at the scoreboard against Michigan State. And Chad, all, they do it in impressive fashion and watching how even, for a good part of the game, even Ohio State, Penn State was, especially defensively. I can't wait to see Michigan rack up points against both of those teams.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of leave the game also just, just more and more embarrassed for some of Michigan's opponents, like Michigan State. That was a, a, an atrocity of a, of a performance by Michigan State. And I know there's a lot going on around their program. There's a lot going on around Michigan's program. And a lot of questions now about them cheating and what's going on with this NCAA investigation. They handled that just fine uh, in East Lansing. No problems at all with Michigan State. Just like they handled the Marbaugh suspension. Yeah, so, look, good. good for Michigan. They're going to continue to face questions about what they were doing. And everyone on their schedule, by the way, There's going to be this shroud of mystery about whether or not they looked into their signs and what went on there and how they're going to have to change up the signs going into the game. I don't think it matters for the outcome of these games, but it's going to be the question. It's going to be a narrative going around this
1: Michigan program throughout the rest of the season. Jed, Bill Belichick and the new England Patriots dead to rights coming off of another loss last week to the Las Vegas Raiders. They return home and, he had his team ready to go. I mean, it's, it's as if he, he's a third-year coach and not the GOAT considered by many to be the greatest coach of all time. He racks up his third, uh, 300th win for his career, dusted off just like he did a, you know, a, a bad performance and said on to Cincinnati, and did it against a Buffalo Bills team that was coming off of a performance where they were very lackluster against the Giants at home, visiting a team that they have been dominant over since 2020, and uh, uh, facing an opponent in their division that they, they should win. They should win this game. They now have lost against the Jets without Rodgers, and they've lost to Bill Belichick's New England Patriots and had no business winning the game. But they come back and find a way throughout this game, and now he joins with 300 regular season wins, it makes him just the third coach in NFL history to reach that mark, joining Don Shula and George Halas.
2: I like the honesty of Josh Allen postgame. Saying, I sit up here all the time and say, we got to find a way to fix it, but I'm getting tired of saying that. Uh, I don't know what to say. Things seem pretty bleak right now, but there's a lot of season left. Uh, I was shocked. Uh, I know you Me were too. too by, I had them by in, this my, outcome. in my pool. Um, absolutely shocked. And then, in the most Bill Belichick of moments, post game, he's asked what it means to join George Hallis and Don Shula in a club of three with over 300 wins. And he mumbled and groaned and said, I'm not concerned with that. I'm concerned with this team and our next game. That's what I'm more concerned with right now. Typical Bill Belichick fashion, but congrats to him.
1: Betas of the weekend, Penn State's offense. Just when we think, and I, I, was, I was buying in, but I didn't want to take this game in wrong team favored, and here's why. I got to see it to believe it with Penn State. Every year, I'm, I'm on the fence wanting to say this is the year that Penn State climbs the ladder and ascends to maybe even a top two of the Big Ten. But right when they're even with one of the two, maybe both, Michigan or Ohio State, they can't get it done because the offense sputters. It's in quicksand. And meanwhile, Ohio State, also with a young quarterback... Excellent wide receiver, fed the elite star, and they end up winning. Meanwhile, Pitt State can't move the football very well. It was ugly offensively, relying on their defense, and James Franklin leaves without a big win yet again.
2: Penn State was 1-16. for 16. That is 6.3% on third down in this game. Drew Aller, good reminder that he is not ready for prime time just yet. Uh, a freshman quarterback, Look like it in this game. Kudos to Ohio State's defense. That was terrific in this game also. But James Franklin, while he is a very good coach and done a good job, has got to somehow get this stigma off of him and this stink off of him of his performance at Penn State in big games. Because, Hutton, your your famous line, it's not if you lose, it's how you lose. They weren't really competitive in this game. I know it, it was a two-score game late. Never felt like Penn State was really even in it, no. the way their offense performed in this one. James Franklin's got to be better and uh, another missed opportunity for Penn State to prove that it's a big three in the Big Ten and not a big two. It's still a big two.
1: Well, it turned fast, too, in this game. Because, it, I mean, I was uh, the broadcast kept saying, uh, well, this has turned into a really defensive performance, and I'm thinking, didn't we expect this? Yeah. Didn't we expect this, that, like the, the grind of trying to, just yeah, we expected more
2: offense than what we got. We expected a defensive oh, battle, but definitely sure. more than what we got. In but, this I,
1: but the first half, I'm saying, just yeah. to figure each other out a bit. And for whatever reason, Penn State can't figure out the opponent if it's Ohio State, Michigan, when it matters, I'm saying. You know, the top five opponent caliber. And, you know, now they're just to create the scenario of having three one-loss teams in the Big Ten and see what happens uh, with the tiebreaker. Penn State has the tiebreaker. With three one loss teams. They've got to beat Michigan. Not that team.
2: Nope. Speaking of bad offense, Hutton, we got another bad yeah, Danny, offensive story. Danny
1: Nose at Arkansas, offensive coordinator, uh, it's saying it didn't work out, which is what Sam Pittman said, is, uh, is putting it uh, lightly. Uh, let go Sunday. Seven to three uh, was the uh, score to Mississippi State. And uh, they gained 200 yards, they ran 67 plays. And Enos has K.J. Jefferson at quarterback.
2: Yeah, there's always Six straight losses. Always Power 5 programs that have that worst-case scenario season, right? And we're seeing it play out for Arkansas right now. This has been a worst-case scenario in almost every game for the Razorbacks so far. They lose 7-3 at home to a Mississippi State team playing without Will Rogers, playing the former Vanderbilt quarterback who transferred away Mike Wright as their starter, and – Arkansas gives up seven points and loses at home. Dan Enos fired the day after the game. $2.8 million he's owed now. Sam Pittman, again, I applaud the honesty, but my goodness, says post game when asked why he didn't kick a field goal with his kicker that's got range out to 60 yards on a 40-something yard attempt, says, I'll be honest, I freaked out and didn't know what decision to make, so I made didn't make one, and it cost them a delay of game, and they punted. it. In a critical situation. Not good. There were some that thought Sam Pittman was in over his head when they hired him. He's proving them right now in year four. This has been a train wreck for Arkansas.
1: Well, they lost – I mean, the identities – they had 37 carries for a little over 100 yards for Sam Pittman's group. That That is that is alarming considering where they were a year and a half ago.
2: Well, it comes a week after they showed some life in a comeback yep. against Alabama on the road, right? They're down, down 24 20, to 6. I think so, yeah. I think at one point yep. and then. Come back and make it a game late, and uh, that was, that was uh, just a complete egg laid against Mississippi State in that game.
1: No way would I have said during the, the week where we brought it. this was probably, what, four or five weeks ago, the email. Dan Enos, in his second stint here, will go down, remembered more about the email account and the response to a fan yeah. than actually putting up yards through a run game for the Arkansas Razorbacks coached by Sam Pittman. That's hard to do. And this
2: is also Sam Pittman's last-ditch effort to save his job. You know, you fire the offensive coordinator, things start to turn around, they surprise, and offense looks better, win a couple games, maybe he gets to stick around. Right now, I would start looking out there for possible new coaches at Arkansas. We can get the hot board ready if this thing continues in that direction.
1: Uh, And finally, Kareem Jackson, safety for the Denver Broncos. Uh, He's a hard hitter but also dirty. He's been fined now four times this season, and he's ejected yesterday for this hit on uh, rookie tight end Luke Musgrave, uh, headhunting. Needs to learn the boundaries, doesn't really care though if you draw them. And it's the second time this season he's been ejected. Here's hoping the suspension is coming. And for Kareem Jackson, there's also DK Metcalf that says he's not gonna change the way he plays. Jackson isn't either. And maybe the NFL decides to actually draw the line and the boundaries for them. That's the only way they'll stop doing this. The
2: greatest ability
1: is availability. Can't get yourself ejected. Coming up, Michael McHenry joins us. Game seven tonight. Sixth and Peabody are located with Yah Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Mike with Huntley Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chad mentioned uh, to begin the show, this is the week where teams, GMs are calling, putting feelers out, making trade deals that you verbally agree to that you execute by the deadline after week eight. Well, we've already seen one of them happen within the last several minutes. Titan safety Kevin Byard traded to the Philadelphia Eagles today. In exchange for a fifth and sixth round pick for this upcoming NFL draft and safety Terrell Edmonds headed back to Tennessee. So,
2: if you could see the reaction of MTSU grad Michael McHenry about the news about another MTSU grad that was given by an MTSU grad and Jonathan Hutton, there you go. I mean, Fort's eyes went
1: big when he learned that news about Kevin Byard being traded. Michael McHenry joins us to talk some MLB postseason. Fort, uh, hope things are well. How are you?
3: It's me to be a Steelers fan. Well, he's an Eagles now. I may have to take a right-hand turn here.
2: Oh, I see. Stick with the black and gold there in Pittsburgh.
3: uh, uh, Golly. Uh, I I don't know the whole entire situation, but I do – know Kevin Byard. He's a great human being and an yep. MTSU guy. I mean, he fought and clawed his way to the, you know, tops of his position and, you know, one of the top players in the NFL. I just hate to see it. I think he's good for the community. He's absolutely done some outstanding things, but yeah, I know it's a business and that shows it more and more.
2: Well, Michael, we were talking about this last week you know, you've had these experiences in front offices where you feel disrespected or you feel like someone's not telling the full truth and then you find something else that's being said behind your back and it can cause friction and, and bad feelings, and that's a very human response. I, I got to think that Kevin Byard, this offseason, when he was asked to take a pay cut by the new GM, you can say, hey, it's a business, and I'm a professional. I'm a, that affects you. As much as you want to try to deny it or block it out or whatever, we're all human, and when you find out that your bosses don't like you as much as they should or that they think less of you or they want you to take a pay cut or get rid of you, that's going to negatively affect you, right?
3: Yeah, especially when they don't explain why. You know, we talked about it last week. The transparency is so important. It's something that, that I'm very passionate about. I mean, you can look at the, the series right now against Texas and Houston. You're saying the same thing. Are they going to be transparent about what's going on with the reality of, you know, is Abreu going to be thrown out? Is he going to be there? That completely changes the way you go about um, the way you're doing things. And it's tough when front offices think they know best. They know all. And they're not willing to be vulnerable, transparent, and tell guys the truth. And I think what people don't think about and fans and nationals should think about is when you do this to players that are well-received, well-liked in the community, they don't forget. The league doesn't forget. And especially the free agents never forget. And they won't get the guys that they want. They'll go pick other places. They do have the tax advantage. But other than that, you cannot do that to players.
1: Michael McHenry with us, former big leader leader and uh, now analyst uh, for Major League Baseball. Okay, so what a difference a visit makes when you joined us last week compared to this week for the Major League Baseball postseason. What do you make of the turn in these series? And let's start with game seven tonight between Texas and Houston. Give us the setup here versus what you've seen from both organizations and ball clubs at different venues.
3: You know... It, it's wild. I, I can't believe the record. You know, when the when these guys are on the road, when Texas, when I'm talking about Rangers are on the road, they're playing better. They're winning more games. Houston, same way. Houston has not done well when they sell out, which is an absolute weird stat. 28 sellouts this year, 21 losses. They're sold out tonight, so that's a really strange thing when you think about it, and you kind of wonder is it too much when they're at home? You know, go back to that human element. Or is it the families, the friends, people asking for tickets, the media, the hype of all of this? I think that emotional toll takes a hit more when you're actually at home than you are on the road. Because when you're on the road, you're in a hotel, you can order food to your room, you can kind of hide out and be in that quiet place that you need so desper- desperately sometimes. And that type of atmosphere and that type of platform. So it's going to be interesting. I do think Texas is taking a wild chance with Max Scherzer. You know, uh, There's a lot of speculation he was tipping his pitches last time You know, with his glove and, and different things. And sometimes that happens when you're just throwing bullpens, trying to get back in the mend, and he has not pissed so much. So it's going to end up being a bullpen game, I believe, for Texas, and their bullpen has struggled throughout the year.
1: Well, and, and then the Game 3 decision to go with him just to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. Houston comes into that down two games uh, to, to none, and it gave them life. The bats came alive, and it, it woke them up, right? I mean, that, that decision alone, if not for that, do you think this series is over?
3: I do. I, I do. But at the same time, I, I could argue that Max Scherzer brings a different element that Bochy understands. And it's way bigger than actually going out there and performing. The fact that he went out in game three, I think, was a, a sign that, hey, if we can you know, stay in this, I'm going to be here for the World Series. It just happens that he's going to have to pitch this game seven. But there's no doubt in my mind he went in there and sat in Bochy's office until he allowed him to start, knowing that he's going to go out and do his thing. He would not put himself out there if he didn't think he could go out and perform.
2: What kind of effect does a manager getting ejected have on a team? In your experience, is it typically a positive one that they're fighting for you? Or is there, uh, obviously, it's the manager, you want them coaching the team, but what are the negative connotations with a team when you see the top guy get get tossed?
3: It really depends on that guy. Uh, if, if you're referring to Dusty Baker or um, any of these older guys that have been around a long time like Boch you know they're protecting their player. So when they go out there, there's without question a different energy that starts to you know, go out on that field. You want to win for your manager, the, the guy who takes over and the right-hand man, you want to win for him, and then the fans get into it. So I think you feed off that as well. So there's a lot that goes into it. There's some guys that do it for themselves. It's a show, and you really don't respect that. But you see it, and you just kind of move on, and it never really affects you one way or another once you figure that out. Um, older guys figured that out a little bit faster than younger guys. But yeah, I think the other day when Dusty Baker got thrown out, it was an automatic win. And I also think they woke up the Astros, you know, with all that mess, 11 minutes of a delay. It's just absolutely remarkable.
1: What makes it so difficult for the Astros to win at home?
3: That's a great question. I, I really do think it is an emotional toll. I, I think, you know, when you have that type of hype all year, you're former champions, you've won a bunch, you've been in a lot of different scandals your, re- your reality just changes when you go on the road you just don't have to deal with all of it you you can kind of get away the same type of media you don't have that outside you know voice constantly coming in to your home and wearing you out i mean the people that it's it right now it's incredible I mean, people come out of works you're friend that you played baseball with when you were 12 in little league. Like, hey dude, remember that nice ball? We won the city. He won the tickets. crazy.
1: Michael McHenry has been our guest. Uh, Michael, uh, uh, the, uh, the internet, a bit choppy there. So we're going to uh, break with you here and uh, try to reconnect with you, uh, possibly later in the week, if that's possible. Appreciate Absolutely.
3: You, for you guys, anything.
1: Yeah. There's Michael. McHenry, You're the man for the it. Fort. Thank you. Apologize for the, the, uh, connection there. Um, Chad, so... Here's my question for you, Hodden. Hey, with with Kevin Byard. Okay, okay go, go You got something else? Well, I'm just thinking, by tomorrow when we come in, we could have a Houston-Philadelphia World Series. We could. That's going to be awesome.
2: Yeah, that, that's the one I think the, the networks want, for sure. Major League Baseball may want it also. Um, yeah, well, good point. Kevin Byard is an eagle. Isn't Kevin Byard's mentality fit perfectly in with what they've constructed there? Yes. And A.J. Brown, the exact same way? Yes. First thing I thought of was less a play standpoint and more a mentality of what they've drafted, what they've brought in. I think Kevin Byard's going to fit in nicely with that locker room.
1: Well, and what happened this offseason, you brought up the the pay cut deal and I, wanting him to take a pay cut. That facilitated this trade in a big way. but Be- Not just because of the mentality of uh, you know the slight – And the perceived slight of what he meant to the locker room in Nashville versus what it was perceived to be moving forward, which is a rebuild with a a new general manager and knowing that a a new stadium is going to be here in 2027, Chad, they also ended up restructuring and he took a pay cut on the reworked contract right before the season where the Titans ended up paying seven million of the $11 million salary upfront in a signing bonus when he did this. So by restructuring, his agent would have known this too. He's getting seven million in the bank immediately. And he's also making it easier contractually for another team to pick him up at the deadline. If he thinks that they're going through a rebuild in the off season, which they, they did kind of both, What I'm saying yeah. this past off season. Um, they end up being able to trade the salary as well. Philadelphia's going to pay him the remainder of this. But they wouldn't have been able to pay what would have been his contract had he not restructured or taken a pay cut. So that helped get it done. And the Titans have, before this trade, they had six picks in the draft. Three of them were seventh rounders. <laughs> they had a first, a second, and a fourth. They didn't have a third or a sixth. And now they have a fifth and a sixth. Now, yeah, that's right. Now they have a fifth and a sixth, plus they get a safety in return in Terrell Edmonds. So uh, I think it's a, it's a good move for an organization at two and four that needs to find some draft capital. And on Philly's end, you make, you make deals like this with the roster stacked as it is. There are rumors that Henry could be involved with in Philly. Ends up being the safety in Kevin Byer.
2: Yeah, it's a great move for the – I mean, it's, I think it's the right move for both teams. The Eagles bolster a roster that's already thinking Super Bowl or bust. They were there in NFC sure. champs a year ago. Trying to get
1: back, which is tough to do.
2: And the Titans, it feels like – I mean, yeah, you get Edmonds in return, so there's some capital for this season right now in terms of roster. But it's time to dive off the 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 high end of the diving board here, into the deep end of the pool. On whatever you're doing next, I
1: I don't know that the competitive rebuild is really a thing. No, they're they're sellers now. They're they're definitely but you have sellers. to have buyers. So you you've got the next one that is available. They have a, a, several players that could be, but the one that is the the, the headline maker is Derrick Henry. That's more difficult though, because we know the value of the perceived value that teams have on the position. So you have to have a team that is. Uh, at least embracing their run game, that you have to have a team that is wanting to pay, uh, I, I believe it's around $6 million remaining this year for Henry. And he's a free agent after this year, but he's a volume back. So if you're trading for him, you're one of a handful of clubs that actually wants to invest in the running back position. You're trading for said running back. And keep in mind, There was not a team that wanted to step up for 24-year-old Jonathan Taylor when he was allowed to seek a trade. They didn't want to place that first or second round value on him. So it's not the same return that many think will be there for Henry. But can you find someone desperate? David Montgomery is out in Detroit, but they certainly have other ways to win. Um, You know, Craig Reynolds was back yesterday in a blowout loss at Baltimore. And... You know that that's one to watch. Uh, there, there are other organizations. New England, of course, is built through the run game, or at least that's their mentality. They want to run the football, slow it down, play defense, win at the end um, with Mac Jones. But Chad, there's not many that just come to mind that you either have your guy if you're a run running team, a rushing offense, or you have a backup that's doing okay in in replacement fashion, like Kareem Hunt in Cleveland, for instance. Yeah.
2: Uh, Another report out there right now, this from Pete Thamel of ESPN. Michigan's Connor Stallions bought tickets for more than 30 Big Ten games over the past three seasons. Stallions had two tickets for Ohio State-Penn State game, one seat across from each bench. He did not attend the game. Clearly a method here to what was going on. One seat down low across the bench from
1: each other in all 30 of these games. Why is this not bigger than what Spygate was for the Patriots? It's. I think it's. It should be. And it. It
2: maybe it'll get there.
1: It, this is, is it a big different. Deal. If you're buying a ticket and you go in with a phone, I mean, I, it, then then going I mean, in I a guess press the, box and, like and the, trying to.
2: The thought is, well, anybody could do this, and maybe others are doing it. That's what Michigan fans are going to claim.
1: But well, but what's going to make it huge is if Harbaugh and company are behind this. Right? Well, he's he, got to know about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't, they, I mean, they, I don't know any way he it, does Right? They've yes. allegedly used it, but the, I'm saying like that what he put out in his initial statement is the exact opposite of what was going on behind the scenes. Further headlines when we return, including Deshaun Watson, who's out again in Cleveland. Next.